You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're talking hip-hop history with Jeff Chang. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We'll get to our interview with Jeff Chang and his co-author, Davey D. But first, we have two albums to review. That is the track Boomerang from the new Don Richard album, Second Line, an electro revival. Uh, we have been reviewing Don Richard fairly regularly on this show. This is their sixth solo album. Some of you may remember that name as a founding member of Danity Kane. If you were a big pop head <laughs> in the early 2000s, uh, you knew Danity Kane. You know, one of Pup Daddy's uh, many projects. Later on, she was with Diddy's Dirty Money. And, and initially began her career sort of being framed as a pop artist. But as a solo act, uh, she's opted to self-release her own music and go uh, in the opposite direction, uh, much to the delight of uh, hardcore music fans. I mean, this, these records have been extraordinary over the years. Golden Heart opened things up in 2013, uh, followed up by Blackheart in 2015. I think the uh, 2016 album Redemption is where she really started to go deep into the weeds of uh, where she was coming from and what she wanted to do, really uh, plumbing her Louisiana heritage there. Uh, 2019, New Breed, digging into her formative years growing up in New Orleans in the Ninth Ward there and uh, how they built her character. Now we see sort of what I see as sort of a sequel to that record with Second Line and Electro Revival. Of course, Second Line referencing uh, the New Orleans uh, tradition of, uh, of a funeral. Celebratory you know, we're funeral. moving on to the next world, you know, yeah. and we're, we're marching you there. Uh, this is a track from the new album. It's called Busi Fame from Don Richard on Sound Opinions. Bring a beat. She been it over like she get in the heat. Sound system like a wave, she rocked in the heat. Southern girls do it better, you take defeat. Setting up a pound's hoes, you take a seat. Bust it for me. Bust it for me. Bust it for me. Bust it for me. Louis and Movass matching receipts. Got a mean head, the bait matches. He hops, catching on you too. Trick, watch the feet. The time is slowed down, it's never me. Bust it for me. Bust it for me. Bust it for me. Bust it for me. In case you didn't been missing, and I've been giving you hits. And you've been sleeping on my sleep, and I've been looking for it. I said, I'm lying, you have to make me wait. That's what we do, babe. Man, we do it all week. That is a little bit of Boosie Fame from Dawn Richard's uh, new solo album, Second Line. And a brilliant album it is, Greg. Um, you know, Dawn is not without precedent. She is saying uh, she is intending this album to be uh, the start of a, a movement to bring pioneering black women mm -hmm. into electronic music. You know, as a producer, I think she has vaunted up to the class of the great Missy Elliott. And as a storyteller, as an Afrofuturist, uh, just as Janelle Monet has created, uh, you know, her character, the Arc Android, um, you know, we have here a character that Dawn Richard is playing. And, uh, you know, it, it fits into the Afrofuturistic storytelling, looking at uh, the traditions of New Orleans, bringing them into the present, uh, digging in the past, 
there's future, it's everything all over the map at once. You know, the character she's playing is King Creole, uh, and, and musically, uh, the ambition is just, is just fantastic. We have something like uh, Bussy Femme, which we played us in with. It is a boastful, uh, you know, dance floor banger. We have, uh, you know, something like Jacuzzi, which is a sensual yeah. slow jam. Uh, Morning Streetlights, you know, pure introspective, almost electronic folk music. Uh, her talking about finding love in life. Every time you wake up, I want you to know that I'm the only coffee you need. You need. You can be assured that I'ma give you more than that you I can be assured. New Breed was heavily influenced by her father, whose old uh, funk band Chocolate Milk she she sampled quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this album is about her mother and mom. And here's the one part I don't like, Greg. Mom appears in a couple of skit dialogue yeah, right. things, right? Uh, you know, you know, I have gone on record many times. Uh, uh, the spoken word intros of a minute or two minutes, uh, they're fine to set context the first time you hear the album. Yeah. I wish after you got it once or twice, they disappeared. It's nice to hear her mother talking about how the only man she's ever loved was her dad. How many times have you been in love? One time. Your father. That's the only time I've ever been in love. It's nice to hear Dawn Richard declare I am the genre. Um, but the music says all mm-hmm. of that and so much more better in that self-celebratory, the celebratory uh, of a soul, right? She's made the point that a great second-line tradition in New Orleans, you can come out of your house when you hear one. You don't even have to know the deceased. You just join the uh, the musicians and the dancers following the procession, and you celebrate a life. Right. Right. And that's what this album is, a celebration of life. It is indeed. Um, I disagree with you about, I, I, I wanted to hear her mom's voice. I think you she belongs this on this you record. <laughs> I don't love all the skits, but that woman has gravity, you know? And it was yeah. just like one of those things where you want to hear that voice and her description of Second Line, you know, the tradition and, and, and New Orleans. And you can hear uh, Dawn in, in her mom's voice, you know, it, it, it's there. And it also, I think, indicates where Don Richard has been as a, as a solo artist all along, mm-hmm. that she's making records that she wants to make. And if everybody if, so, if other people like it, that's cool, too. But I'm really making music for me instead of uh, impresar- impresario like Puff Daddy or whatever, you know? I'm, I'm doing this for me. And, I mean, she mixes it up. I mean, when, when you hear, uh, for example, you mentioned that track, Jacuzzi, uh, it's got a little bit of that dance hall Jamaican vibe, and I hear, yeah. I'll, I hear some of her roots... You know, because she's not only rapping, she's singing on this record. Mm-hmm. There's ballads here. You know, she she you know she sings over Beethoven on this record. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, all over yeah, the map. Yeah. How do you go from dancehall reggae to Beethoven in the stretch of a couple of tracks? That's what she's doing here. It may be bewildering to some people, but at the heart of it is her playing on those synthesizers and keyboards, creating these textures. That, as you said, she's a producer as well as the artist and singer and performer on this record. She does it all. Uh, a one-woman industry, a, a genre, as she said. Uh, I love the fact that she's blending uh, not only New Orleans bounce, but there's some Chicago footwork uh, some you know, house, yeah. details in there, the, the Jamaican dance hall that I mentioned. There's rapping, there's singing. She's mixing R&B ballads with these avant-garde synth textures. Uh, very ambitious record musically, and it has a story at the heart of it. It's a concept record about growing up in New Orleans with her mom at the heart of it all. I think uh, this is... You know, Don Richard, just about anything she puts out, I want to hear it. Yeah, 
And this is a great, a great addition to her canon. Strong one, no one, the man above, the name, a word, I get up, set in the heat. I'm smiling constantly and people constantly step on me. His shadow looms around, a feeling of bees' legs on my face. Safe inside a secret love, let's run. Anyway, mystical Shakespeare shoes, trap person screaming. That is a little bit of a song called Her Hippo. Greg, I'll confess, I'm inclined to like any song with a title called Her Hippo. Uh, But this one comes to us from Dry Cleaning, from its first full album, New Long Leg. Um, It's a fascinating group from the UK that only came together in 2017. Around three gentlemen, guitarist Tom Douse, bassist Louis Maynard, and drummer Nick Buxton, and a truly individualistic uh, front woman, Florence Shaw. Uh, two EPs came out early on. One of them sort of a, uh, a conceptual uh, kiss to Meghan Markle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the difficulty she went through uh, being uh, the title of that EP, The Sweet Princess, right? Um, there was a lot of anticipation because how well received those EPs were and singles. The group went into the studio in between lockdowns over in the UK and recorded with the great John Parrish, mm-hmm. best known as a frequent collaborator, uh, you know, really the right-hand man to the great PJ Harvey yeah. uh, for many years over many records. Uh, the album is out now. Uh, and uh, people are singing its praises high and low throughout the indie underground. Let's play a song, and we'll get into our opinions. This is Scratch Card Lanyard, which was one of the singles from Dry Cleaning. I will say, Her Hippo is a great title, but Dry Cleaning is the worst (laughs) band name uh, ever since real estate. New album, New Long Leg on Sound Opinions. Many years have passed, but you're still charming. Rose falling and exploding, you can't save the world on your own, I guess. Don't send me it, you keep it. You keep it. You keep it. We can't come. It'll be okay, I just need to be weird and hide for a bit and eat an old sandwich from my bag. That is Scratch Card Lanyard from Dry Cleaning on a new album called New Long Leg. Well, by now, a lot of our listeners have already made up their minds. Yeah. They're either completely <laughs> loving this thing and going, wow, I love this, or they're going, what the hell are they playing now? What is this? Yes. Yeah. And you know what? My my reaction, I, I, I identify with both. Because at first I was kind of like, okay, what are we gotten ourselves into here? This get, this album's getting a lot of hype, and I'm I'm not sure I buy it. Well, and I was the one insisting we do tackle and, this. And, and by the fourth listen, I'm going, I love this thing. Yeah. I'm not just going to lay yeah. all my cards on the table. Uh, the band does a great job for what it does, but Florence Shaw, uh, that deadpan vocal style, let, let's put it this way. 
if you have a little background in Marky Smith of the Fall, yeah. Proto Martyrs Joe Casey, one of my favorite yeah. leading yeah. actors of the let, last let, 10 years. Uh, let's not Lou leave Reed. Our old favorites, yeah. Art Brute. Sure, off yeah. The list, right? It's right in that pocket. Uh, and, and, it's, and you better be good if you're going to not sing. If you're essentially yeah. going to, you know, she, she, her audition for this band was reading from a book. Yeah, over their over their <laughs> textures, and they go. That's what we want. She's a smart lady, obviously, um, and and the vocal style fits in perfectly with the lyrics. And it, and you do have to pay attention. First of all, texturally, what this band is doing, uh, forefronting the uh, the bass and drums. People will say Public Image Limited, Flowers of Romance. That's an obvious reference point, post-punk, etc. But I'm hearing a lot of dub reggae. I'm hearing really? a lot of spaciousness in the Which was part of later a lot Public of room. Image. Yeah, yeah, a lot of room to work in there. I, I've, heard, I've heard New Order and Joy Division. Yeah. You know, the comparisons, if you read six reviews, you'll get 60 different comparisons. I've heard feelies people are dropping, right? Oh. It's all over the map. And, and, and listen to her. You know, she's, it, it's, a, it's sort of a cut-up style of... of, of lyricism but what i love about it is that she can drop these kind of you know juxtapose these odd images where clashing you know clashing moods are are are, are constantly at war with one another uh over these incredible textures by the band the guitar player is amazing Not, doesn't no, play they, a single solo but he there complements are her very well of noise oh, and there are these delicate lines I yeah love, i love it and then these these lines that just pop out i'd like to run away with you on a plane but don't bring those loafers, yeah, you know? Yeah, I, know? I mean, it's kind of like, uh, oh. would you choose a dentist with a messy backyard oh, no, 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 like that? No, no, no. Here's you my know? favorite. I think of myself as a hearty banana with that waxy surface and delicate flowers. A woman in aviators firing a bazooka. I, 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 another one. I'm, I'm, you know, it, I, I was laughing out loud. My only disappointment, uh, Jim, yeah. uh, is the song John Wick does not mention John Wick. Why would it? I mean, otherwise, it's Why a would perfect it? record. This is a brilliant woman who is channeling like Emma Peel Cool, circa the original yeah. Avengers series, walking through London and either being barraged by random texts or having the ability to like read other people's thoughts, you know, but only when when she's within three feet, right? So she's passing them on the street, and it's this cacophony, yeah, um, that that makes no sense except as texture. But every once in a while, there is a line that jumps through. There's the part where she's taking inventory in the kitchen, yeah. in control in the kitchen area, spatula pot and crumb tray, yeah. a greaseproof type of thing. <laughs> in control in the kitchen. I don't know. That is either the meaning of life, if you are a woman uh, in 2022, to me, or it means absolutely nothing. But in both cases, I love it. I feel like she's noticing all the stuff in the margins of everyday life. Yeah. And giving it meaning. We are big fans of dry cleaning and Dawn Richard, but we want to know what you think about those new albums. Uh, tell us on our Facebook group or Patreon community. Leave a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. Next, we'll get into some hip-hop history. We're going to school, Greg, with Jeff Chang and Davey D. That's coming up on Sound Opinions. We're back, and we're glad to welcome hip-hop historian Jeff Chang back to the show. 
Long-time listeners will recognize Jeff from episode 15. 15. Back in 2006 when he just published the definitive history of early hip-hop, Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Now, 15 years later, he and co-author Davey D have updated that book for a youth edition, which is out now. Jeff, as an author, um, going back to a book that was a labor of love, that was so mm-hmm. well-received, that stands as uh, one of the definitive accounts, if not the definitive account, of hip-hop. Um, what was that like? You know, I never want to go back to my old <laughs> books, although there's a million things I'd fix. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, absolutely, me too. Uh, but, you know, this was a chance to be able to do that. It, it's been a blessing. I mean, you know, I just, remembering the, the first mm. tour and being able to come and hang with you guys over at Navy Pier, and just going, wow, I'm getting a chance to actually talk with Jim and Greg. I mean, you know, it was like, woof, it was a big deal. And the book is was well-received. It's been a blessing um, to be able to come back to it. Our editor, Monique Patterson, uh, came back uh, to me a couple of years ago. And, you know, me being the, a, a bit of a perfectionist, um, having a chance to go back to it and getting a chance to be able to work with like one of my oldest friends and somebody who I, I've I've considered to be a mentor, um, Dave, was just it, it's it's been an amazing ride for us. It's been a, mm. it's been a beautiful thing. What was the goal? Yeah. I mean, obviously, young adults, you're trying to reach a different audience, maybe a little different audience. But I mean, are you envisioning this as sort of like a, a school textbook or what's the sense of the mission behind doing this version of the book? Well, it's, it's two things. First of all, I think there's a lot of adults that will read this book, and that's important because reading is hard for a lot of people to, to do. And I'm saying that as somebody who teaches mm-hmm. in college mm-hmm. now. Um, the first book was a monumental work. And at that time, because Jeff was changing the narrative in how we looked at hip hop, he had to show up with a lot mm-hmm. of receipts. So you had to be like, okay, this guy, and give a whole backdrop of who this Mm -hmm. guy is. And then he'd talk about an event, and he had to kind of reference a lot of that. So it was very cerebral type, and, you know, that's good in a college setting, and at the time it was needed. But now we don't necessarily need to do that. We don't have to explain who Russell Simmons is. We don't have to explain all the things that were explained the first time. But we can go a little bit deeper into some of the narratives, and we can also tell a little bit more stories that are going to be relatable to a different generation of people. So once upon a time, it was about the record, and it was about, you know, just one or two things that um, we all could purchase about, you know, an individual. Today, those artists are front and center. We know them through social media and all these other things. So we can reach out and touch them a little differently. And so our focus on what they do is going to take on a different tone, if that's making sense. Well, it's interesting because I think what you're getting at there, Dave, is um, the whole notion of 2005 to 2021. There's been a leap in terms of how we think about hip hop and how it has been completely absorbed into the mainstream. It is now the pop music of our time. I mean, it is multi-generational, right? and it cuts across uh, lines of gender and, and race uh, in a way that maybe it didn't in 2005, that we still had to, as, as you were saying, explain it to some people. Now it's just like it's in the right. DNA of, of everybody, it seems like, who's under a certain age anyway. It's in the DNA, and, and what happened in the first book is that it reflected the, the political, social, and economic times, 
and you know of the different periods that Jeff covered. So if you look at the social political times that we're in now, we're we're struggling with what some people would describe as information wars. So there's a lot of distortion and a lot of revision, a lot of rewriting, a lot of erasing of history. So part of the challenge for us is to anchor things back to a solid history of, at least on this culture and black culture in particular, or an aspect of black culture. So that's important as well. So when people go, oh, Macklemore, you know, that's the start of independent <laughs> <Yeah>. rap. <laughs> no slight on, on Macklemore, but they actually have said he was the start of independent rap. Oh, yeah, then yeah, we yeah, can right. go, no, yeah, no, yeah. there was Too Short, Knee 40, and there was all these other people that, you know, we kind of mentioned in the book. From the ground, this verse right here was amazing, strictly for the females. Don't y'all know it's time for y'all to blow up like me, bum? Instead of selling Tupperware and a bum, let your business like to go and put the peas in the pot. Tell your baby daddy, your baby daddy. A big part of the first edition and, and the new edition of uh, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, you talk about the four key elements of hip-hop as a culture. And I wanted mm -hmm. to get your thoughts on how you were talking about the DJ, the rapper, the graffiti artist, and the breakdancer, right? Four mm -hmm. elements come mm -hmm. together, and this is a whole culture. This is not a sound. This is not a genre. This is, this is a movement. Um, you know, and two of those elements have sort of dropped out. You know, graffiti mm -hmm. art and, and uh, breakdancing. I was wondering about your perspective on that. And why it's mm. still important to remember all four being essential to those early days yeah. in the Bronx. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Jim, like one could argue that they're bigger than ever, you know. Um, B-boying and B-girling is, is about to become an Olympic sport. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? And, and graffiti art has become street art. And now you've got folks doing nfts yeah, yeah. <laughs> like with the with that sort of street art type of vibe making literally hundreds of millions of dollars off of it the entire art world's kind of been remade um around street art and and you think of actually even what that's done to cities right cities like north miami certainly our bay area and that kind of stuff and how street art has actually ushered in the way for folks to want to move back to the cities yeah. right so there's a sort of reversal process of what we talked about in in the book which was the abandonment of cities uh in the 50s and 60s it actually leads to neighborhoods like the bronx where dave comes from you know uh kids coming together and making hip-hop so i think that in some ways you know as hip-hop has gotten so big it's it's felt like a lot more diffused mm -hmm. so on the one hand you know it's like you can have the grammys and have cardi b and megan the stallion basically like making the whole show yeah And then on the other hand, it's like, you know, what is, for a kid coming up now, what does Megan the Stallion have to do with, like, Banksy, mm -hmm. right? And so part of our, our job was to, to kind of draw those connections back together, to weave it back together, to talk about, uh, you know, how this is sort of birthed and becomes an explosion and changes the world. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it has exploded. I remember in the late 90s, post the golden age, right? You, you saw the flowering of hip-hop as an art form. Every week there seemed to be a classic album that came out. And then there was this period there where, you know, Puff Daddy and all this stuff, and people are selling out. I used to love her, Common said, you know. It was kind of like mm -hmm. there was, it was, it had lost its mm -hmm. artistic 
bent and it become this commercialized thing. And the political bent. Yeah. Because that's a big part of the first edition and right. the new edition. But it seems to have, again, it, it seems to have recovered its footing. Uh, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement really, to me, you know, telescoped that. Like, that was the soundtrack. Hip-hop was the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it was, it was street, it was back on the streets in a way that this huge commercial art form never really lost touch with that part of it. So here we are mm-hmm. almost 50 years in to hip-hop's, you know, evolution. And it still hasn't lost that sort of underdog, still under-recognized by the Grammys. The rockers still look a scan, oh, they don't play real instruments, you know? You still hear that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. what, what accounts for that uh, underdog quality that I think continues to give it relevance in a lot of ways? And they're not sitting on top of the throne, even though they are the most popular artists in the world. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. It's, it's a complicated question that has several layers to it because part of hip-hop is that it's also an industry now. And it's corporate culture that's attached to it. And there are various levels or layers to how we see hip-hop. So, yeah, there's an underdog quality to it. Um, and there always will be because there are folks who are coming up who want to express themselves and they're trying to f- make a way out of no way. The challenge is, is do we actually recognize that aspect of it or, or are we looking for it in something that may be sometimes manufactured, sometimes not all the way, uh, not not fully connected to that underground ethos, if if you may, or if we're projecting on on some of this. So, for example... Right now, as a marketing strategy, big corporations come to the public and make it sound like they're underground, like they're, you know, you know like they're, they're the struggling, you know, folks that are right. trying to come up. When really, <laughs> they just got some furniture, they, they, they dress down a little, <laughs> yeah. and they, they, yeah. they learn some um, <laughs> slang words, and they do that. And I'm saying this as somebody that worked at a major media conglomerate that did that, mm-hmm. Clear Channel. That was the whole thing. Let's try to make it seem like yeah. we're the little guy. And in doing that, it overshadowed the little guy. So it's a little confusing for a lot of us to break through and figure out which is which. And so hip hop in many ways reinvents itself. It rewrites itself. And you have to kind of look mm-hmm. a little bit deeper. If I go to my class right now and I go, give me your playlist. Most of the stuff my students are going to give me will not be on the radio. That's SoundCloud, right? It's all SoundCloud. (laughs) It's SoundCloud, right? And they're finding a whole lot of stuff that, you know, that speaks to them. And you're like, I never heard of these people. And they're like, we're 18 years old. You shouldn't be writing <laughs> these people. Exactly. You shouldn't be, be you know. To it. Jeff, this, this may be a cruel thing to do to a fellow author. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway, <laughs> because I think you have the last laugh. Um, you know, I went back to the New York Times review when your book came mm, out. And I'm sure yeah. you remember that one. It was kind, oh, of, yeah. kind of addled. They accused yeah. you of having like kind of a one-sided history. You know, what's all yeah. this talk about the importance of politics? He doesn't mention Eminem once. Um, right. You know, but but there's a sentence here uh, that they quote in that review that I think has, has uh, 
really stood the test of time. You had contended that the black thing you once couldn't understand had become a G thing you could buy into. You're talking about the rise mm -hmm. of gangster rap. The Chronic, mm -hmm. the Crip Walk, Condoms, Con Art, Chevrolet, Pendleton, Zigzag, Seagram, Remy, Hennessy, Tanqueray, Desert Eagle, Dog Pound, Death Row. Here was the short-lived post-truce freedom recast as the sweet sound of rapsploitation and a new corporate multiculturalism, all right? Which I think, uh, you know, we kind of see the end of that with a Chicagoan, you know, its logical conclusion, uh, Chief Keefe, you know, and then, like, the gangster pose, man, there's real stuff, vitally important happening in the streets. Let's get back to where this music started, or am I reading that wrong? First of all, do you want to read our next book? Like, did, did, like you just read that sentence, made made it sound like so much better than it actually was written. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I, we just we just need you to have you like I was, in the studio I, I was behind the mic. Struck by for... that at the time, and I'm still struck by it today. So I, <laughs> I'm just beautiful. trying to channel my inner, beautiful my inner rapper. You had that gravitas. Well, to you it. know, when I worked on Wall Street, I was working my way through college, and uh, this is when the garage is blowing up. And all the black kids I worked with used to call me Beatmaster Jimmy D. Because they knew I played the drums. Wow. Right? You know, they knew I played the drums. They didn't know I played punk rock, you know. But I was, you know. But that, that's, a, that's as good as I get. I don't we get got, any better than that, so. We got we to gotta dig out those records from the crates. Uh, there you um, go. Beatmaster Jimmy Beat Master, D. I like awesome. that. Not to be confused with Beatmaster Clay no, from Florida. No, no, I, and I never would claim that appellation. <laughs> Let's go back to your question. It's really interesting because when the when the book first came out, we were in the middle of two wars and radio had consolidated. Media consolidation was underway. This kind of resulted in all kinds of stuff. One of them being Davey getting kicked off the air of Clear Channel for being too political. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, part of what I think the, the New York Times was reflecting was the view of hip hop at that point, which is, you know, shut up and rap basically, right? Yeah, Just yeah. like what they tell LeBron, right? You know, like, shut up and dribble. Yeah. Like, same, yeah. same thing they tell the WNBA, right? This notion of folks of color, especially black folks, are there to be uh, seen and for us to clap for and entertain and be entertained by, but not to be able to say anything about, like, where this is coming from at all. So the book kind of, like, put a finger in the eye of, deliberately, in the eye of, I, I won't mention the, the reviewer's name, but those types of folks. Yeah. The beautiful closure that Dave and I got was that when we were writing this particular book, the book writing extended into 2020, into the pandemic, and COVID hitting communities of color like a hurricane, you know, and President Trump up there talking about the Chinese flu and inciting this wave of hate violence against Asian Americans, and then George Floyd gets killed, right? And so, you know, 25 million people pour into the streets and Dave and I are like, oh my God, yeah, like stop, stop everything. Like if you have to push the date back, you have to push the date back. But it was this piece where it was like, this is what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. This is always what hip hop was, was meant to be. And, and as you all remember, like the, the first edition of the book closes with the protest that's happening in 2000. We had to tell... 20 years of what happened there. And it begins in the underground and it comes to the mainstream. And I think 25 million people in the streets can't be wrong. So 
you know, that's sort of how it comes back around for us to, to be able to make sure that what we're saying here with hip hop is that the story of hip hop is American history that hasn't been told. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the hidden text. Mm -hmm. Chief Keefe is a hidden text. Right. He's talking about what's happening in the streets when folks at that particular point were not right in in government and in the mainstream. Kendrick Lamar, right? Uh, rappers like Rhapsody. Anxiety, you die not past the sobriety, Atlanta, Georgia, that's I got 99 problems, and 12 still the biggest. I got 99 problems, but Tom Bullet Tricks. I got 99 problems, and 12 still the biggest. People like Cardi B, mm -hmm. like sitting down Bernie Sanders for a talk, not Bernie Sanders <laughs> sitting Cardi B for a talk, yeah. right? All right, guys, so this is Cardi and Bernie. A couple of weeks ago, I asked my followers, what type of questions would you like to ask a Democratic candidate? Let's go, baby. That's the kind of influence hip hop has, and, and that's the story that, that needed to be told. So it was a beautiful bit of closure for us. Do you have thoughts on hip hop's place in American culture? Share them in our Facebook group, our Patreon community, or leave a voice message at soundopinions.org. Coming up, more with Jeff and Davey D, plus Beach Bunny. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. We're back, and we have hip-hop historians Jeff Chang and Davey D with us. Let's get back to that conversation. Hip-hop. And it's unfair to put this on hip-hop because it infects all aspects of culture and entertainment. But... Diversity, women's voices, gay voices. Early on, there was a debate in hip-hop about, you know, are gays even welcome here? Women MCs were fewer and farther between than they are now. But how has hip-hop engaged with these areas, and how do you feel it's progressed or, or not since the book, uh, the original book was written in 2005? Well, I think, you know, a positive thing was the chance to reopen the book, um, crack it back open and sort of, rewrite it was a chance to to really correct the record and to be able to to really center and highlight the role of of women in hip-hop so we're able to talk from the very beginning from cindy campbell you know dj cool herc's sister davy calls her the first hip-hop entrepreneur there's a direct line from cindy campbell throwing a party that her brother dj cool herc gets to spin at all the way and up to to diddy all the way and up to jay-z it's just that we don't think of it that way, right? We've never thought of it that way. But if she hadn't thrown the party, collect the money, and, and even had the idea <laughs> yeah, for the party yeah. in the first place, set up the hot dogs and the the uh, the Coke and the Coke 45 malt liquor, there wouldn't have been the party that DJ Cool Herc would have spun at. And there right. wouldn't have been a, a right. new scene. You know, thinking about that all the way through the old school and into, you know, Roxanne Chante, who's, you know, still doing her thing, all the way on up to, to Cardi B, uh, Megan The Stallion, uh, all of these folks, I, I think we're in a golden era right now of young feminist voices, um, even young queer voices. You know, I, I love young M.A. I just love, love, love young M.A. Like when in these streets more than sesame. But that shit chicken, why she texting me? Why she keep calling my phone speaking sexually? Pop Smoke, like all of those folks like together, you know, young thug um, representing right in in these ballroom gowns, you know what I mean? Like all of these different types of things, hip hop has changed. We're able to, to go back and, and rewrite it in this particular kind of a way for the new times, for the new generation. The new generation is able to do things that we never were, were able to do to make critiques that we were never, never able to do 
And I think that the, the, the sort of sense of courage and bravery um, and pride that BLM has encouraged in people and this idea that it's about all the voices, as you put it, Greg, like the diversity of voices. It's not just about the people who are the sort of gatekeepers anymore. Um, everyone's a leader, right? It's a leaderful movement. Um, this is what we're seeing in hip hop at this particular moment. And uh, it's just a blessing to be able to kind of see that happening and to be able to write about it. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jeff, of uh, emo rap? <laughs> and I'm thinking about the bravery of someone like a Tyler, the creator, who, you know, Ooh. to me, Odd Future was the snotty kid in the corner uh, wiping his snot on the chalkboard, right? We're going to press every <laughs> button we can to get a little attention. Look at me. So misogyny, homophobia, some really vile stuff in those Odd Future raps. And then the courage to come out, you know, on yeah. record. Hey. Next line I have I'm like, whoa, I've been kissing white boys since 2004. Hey. One, me, two, three. I think that's brave. I think it's inspiring. But then there's also like Drake. Poor me, mm-hmm. poor me, poor me. There ain't no kid uh, moaning and whining about how Sally in sophomore year didn't even look at him. That, that's more <laughs> solipsistic than a Drake, uh-huh. right? So what do you think about that? I mean, because that is one of the big explosions in hip-hop in the last couple of years. You know, my own thing is I've got kids now who are just out of the pre-adulting phase into the adulting phase. We used to have these arguments about like native tongues versus odd future and stuff. And <laughs> I remember taking my son to, to rock the bells, um, you know, and going to see Tyler on the second stage and being like, I'm, I don't want to do it, but if you want to go, like, let's go. And I'll, I'll sit there and, and Tyler was doing his thing. And then I turned to him afterwards. I was like, finally, I get odd future. Mm-hmm. And he's all like, you see, you see, um, because the kids always took Tyler as somebody who was jokey. So even even his like casual misogyny on a lot of these early records, right? Um, casual homophobia and that kind of stuff. Like they took it as like, I'm just saying this stuff because I can and I know it'll get a rise mm-hmm. out of you. And I didn't get that until I saw him in person mm-hmm. and and saw the kind of kids that he was drawing and how he was interacting with them and stuff. And to think about kind of like that kind of way of being thinking about Brockhampton and there's a collective of kids right and sexualities don't matter uh, genders don't matter like yeah. we're doing this thing together right yeah. you know whereas in our era you had to be hard it was over masculine it was hyper masculine right uh, it was toxically masculine in a lot of ways that's a beautiful thing to kind of see happen and I think like in some ways in an odd way um, maybe Drake actually opened the door for a lot of this to be able to to happen, you know, sort of this critique that even Kanye before Drake um, had encompassing in his music. I just see there's no need for yeah. Drake if you have 808s and heartbreak, but that's <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Emo rap, meaning that you have people that are able to be vulnerable and explore a softer side of themselves in a world that demands that men yeah. be men and, you know, we have these rigid roles, especially mm-hmm. black men, right? So, you know, LL, I give him credit because he's the one that's like, yeah. I need yeah. love. Yeah. Deserves to be this way till I'm old, but the other half needs affection and joy and the warmth that is created by a girl and a boy. I need love. Yeah. And then we go to De La yeah. Soul, right? In some aspects of the native tongues because they're wearing yeah. the daisies and they're doing that. And then we can work our way up to some of these underground artists. I'm looking at Mystic Journeyman and Living mm-hmm. Legends, right? And a lot of their early tapes where they're talking about things mm-hmm. that allow them to be like 
you know, not every song is like, I'm rough and rugged. It's like, let's explore different emotions. You never really know who's the next one to blow. Who's cannons loose? Who's planning what? Who's not planning? Standing on shaky ground and demanding what you're not handing out. Last straw, no fuse. We got to put Michael Franny in there as somebody who was, you know, um, not only, you know, exploring those different emotions, but addressing some of those issues head on. You know, early on, he was doing songs about homophobia, mm -hmm. you know, when he was Disposable yeah. Heroes, right? Mm -hmm. But death is a silence in the cycle of violence. Death is a silence. It's tough to be young and law to be tougher when we pick up someone else that might make us feel rougher. You know, and look at hip-hop's response to the AIDS crisis. Again, a lot of that coming out as well. Um, and then we can go and, you know, you see aspects of it with Nas, with One Mike and people expressing grief yeah, and yeah, all yeah. that. And then by the time you get to Kanye, who's like, let me put a backpack on and be preppy. And and I'm going to tell you that I cried at my grandmother's deathbed. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They outside of the emergency room, room. You can feel my heartbeat, beat, beat. If she gonna pull through, we gonna find out soon. But right now she sleep, sleep, sleep. My mama say they say she could pass away any day. Hey chick, what these doctors know anyway? Let me see the X-rays. I ain't no expert. I'm just hurt. Cause the Kim took off. It lays groundwork that you know an odd future can build upon. But you know other artists like Extension and Juice World. others, um, yeah. Logic and others who are like I've, I'm gonna talk about you know suicide yeah. i'm going to talk about mm -hmm. you know all these different things it it allowed the expansion of expression which up until recently every other genre was allowed mm -hmm. to yeah, go there yeah. except yeah. hip-hop and the mm -hmm. only reason why hip-hop was not allowed to go there was because the industry itself radio mm -hmm. and records had a fascination and a demand on how blackness yeah, should yeah. show up. It needed to be over-sexualized as women, or it needed to be hard, and it needed to be gangster, and it needed to be all these things, except somebody who wants to come up and say, I'm not all these things. I'm vulnerable, mm -hmm. I'm scared, I'm insecure, and, you know, and I'm also a nerd. And then people would say, well, are you really yeah. black? Yeah. Or is that street? <laughs> yeah, that is street. Yeah. <laughs> that you can't is be black. skateboard and Lupe and, Fiasco. White kids do yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that. Lupe, Lupe would be an, Lupe would be another one. I think it was always there though, and I just think it was underplayed. Like you couldn't. Like I think of the Ghetto yeah. Boys. Nobody, nobody scared people more than the Ghetto Boys in their heyday. And that they, they have a. How do you explain my mind playing tricks on me or something like that? Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like a Absolutely. freaking classic song about being open and vulnerable and all those things that you're not supposed to be. If you're if you're a you know yeah. G funk guy you know yeah. it's like I still don't like Drake though <laughs> I don't like Drake first couple of know. Drake records were pretty good you know I, I, I think the first first couple when, were good when when Drake when Drake first came out I didn't get it and then Shock G from Digital Underground talked about Drake was one of the best ever to do it and broke down why and I had to kind of relook at Drake and I have a deeper appreciation. In terms of one, he connects to his generation. Like, um, if I talk to my class, you know, they'll have a bunch of yeah. different opinions, but Drake is that guy. Drake is like their Rock Him, <laughs> you know, and I know somebody who likes Rock Him would be like, how dare you say, but he's that. Rock Him, too, yeah. <laughs> but Rock Him was that transformative figure 
that, you know, that you look back and you go, that's him. KRS and Rakim are those yeah. pillars. Whether you like it or not, Drake is a main pillar for the millennium and for a group of people that are now up. Um, he's that like, yeah, there's Drake and then I like everybody else. Um, the way Pac mm -hmm. was and Biggie were for people coming out of the 90s. So um, you may not like him. <laughs> you know, you may not get him, but Drake... As a DJ, as somebody who DJs all the time, you know, at parties, let me do a party and not yeah. play Drake, <laughs> even for older crowd now. Well, we could talk for hours with Davey D and Jeff Chang, uh, but this is what we got, guys, and we just want to say congratulations. Uh, can't stop, won't stop in this new young adult uh, edition, updated for the times, uh, a, a stone-cold uh, classic in the uh, annals of uh, pop music literature. Thank you, Jim. Hey, we want to tell people that, that there's an audiobook as well in, that Dave and I voiced. Oh, um, cool. If you listen closely, you'll get to hear Dave doing Soma Cosa. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a classic moment in, uh, in audiobook history. We hope that we get a Grammy for it. Well, congratulations on, on the book, and thanks for being on Sound Opinions. Thank you so much for having us. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, guys. What do you think about Drake? Bad left turn in the history of hip-hop or the future of the music? Leave us a voice message on our website or start a conversation in our Facebook group. But when they love me, I feel like I'm voting. When they call me pretty, I feel like somebody. Even when we fade up as your lead, I now say you will always be. That was a bit of a remix version of the song Cloud Nine by Beach Bunny, featuring Tegan and Sarah. The original song is off the band's 2020 album Honeymoon, which was one of my favorite albums of last year. Beach Bunny is a Chicago band formed in 2015 by lead singer Lily Trafilio that's becoming known nationally after Cloud Nine started blowing up on the internet. That led Lily to make that collaborative remix of the song with Tegan and Sarah, using new pronouns throughout the track to include her LGBTQ plus fans. Our producer Alex Claiborne caught up with Lily of Beach Bunny a few months ago to talk about the song that got her hooked on Sonics during quarantine and inspired her to make music in a different way. Hi, I'm Lily Trefilio. I'm from the band Beach Bunny. And one song in particular that's really impacted me and how I write and produce is uh, Kill vs. Maine by Grimes. I first discovered this song back in April of 2020, so still pretty recently. But genuinely, I've listened to it every day since. And it's one of those songs that makes me want to both punch my fist through a wall, but also makes me want to just lock myself in a bedroom and make beats all day. I really like how high energy it is, and I like that there are so many factors that went into it that maybe you can't hear at first listen, but the more times you listen, 
you notice the little nuances and subtleties. For instance, there's this like crowd roaring sound that's really tucked into the background that makes it almost sound like it's at a live show being performed even though um, it was all artificial. cool and the bass is also super punk which I love punk music so I kind of like that the lyrics of the song um, you also don't really understand at first listen you have to listen a bunch of times to kind of understand the words because they're really distorted and kind of bizarre that song um, has had like a really big impact on my own creativity I feel like every time I listen to it I just get so inspired <laughs> I think someone I knew maybe recommended the song and I heard it once and was like whoa I need to go through her entire discography now <laughs> I think the song has had a few effects um, in terms of Beach Bunny the last single we just put out good girls don't get used I think was pretty heavily influenced by that song just in terms of having like a really chunky bass line and keeping the energy really aggressive the whole time that song and just grimes in general kind of influenced me to start a side project and learn how to produce more and not just be um, I guess a musician and a lyricist, but also a producer. Thanks a lot to Lily Trefilio of Beach Bunny for talking to Alex Claiborne about the song that got her started making music. Tickets are on sale, Greg, to the band's fall tour. Tickets! Tours! Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and uh, they just appeared on Jimmy Fallon's show. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we are going to talk with Nancy Wilson about her first studio solo album and all things heart. Cool beans. For more sound opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to sound opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. And speaking of sponsors, every week our show reaches hundreds of thousands of curious listeners from around the globe via podcast and on 150 public radio stations nationwide. If you'd like to learn more on how your business or organization can also reach this engaged and educated audience, you can email sponsor at soundopinions.org. That's sponsor at soundopinions.org. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Sol Delgadillo. 